This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Morning. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, as I said, my name's Jack and my wife Rebecca at the front. We're fairly new to Seven. I started working with the youth and students about six or seven months ago, but only moved about six weeks ago. Uh, so we're still getting to know everyone in the city. Um, one of our favourite things to do is to try new places to eat. And does anyone else enjoy those simple pleasures in life, which is when you walk down the street and there's street food vendors giving out free samples? Anyone else? Anyone else done the, tr- the like, cheeky one, like get your kids to go up again for you, or like go around the corner, got to pretend to be surprised and get some new ones? Anyone else? Just me, that's fine. Just me. But um, I love getting free samples and free tasters. <clears throat> and uh, well, anyway, we're looking at a series, uh, looking at heroes of the Old Testament. And you might have noticed, but what you see in the Old Testament in some of the stories and the characters are little tasters, little foretastes of who the Messiah and who the Saviour would be. Just a glimpse, just enough to whet our appetites for who the real Saviour would become. So we've seen Moses raised up as kind of the Saviour to lead the people of God out of slavery and into new life. And we've seen Joshua, a faith-filled leader, win a great victory so that the people of God could enter into their promise. And we've seen Abraham, a great father and man of faith, stepping up to lead his people. And again, it's a little bit like watching an amazing trailer. Like, I don't know if anyone's seen any big blockbuster movies yet. Um, Has anyone seen Top Gun Maverick? Because I haven't seen it. Is it worth seeing? Everyone keeps telling me. But the last time I saw uh, a big movie was probably Spider-Man No Way Home. Anyone else seen it? It's a classic. But I saw saw the trailer and I thought it looked good. It looks like an average Marvel film. It's it's probably worth the ticket price. That's like my measure of, am I disappointed I've paid for it? I should have waited for Netflix. That's my measure of going to the cinema. But it was, I think it was Bex and I's, it was our first movie since COVID when it was, and it was packed. It was like opening week and There's a moment in the film, if you haven't seen it, I won't ruin it, where everyone gasped. Like, collectively, we were in shock. But I really enjoyed the moment. Like, people at moments clapped and cheered. Like, it's rare that happens in a cinema. But, you know, the reality of that experience, being there in the cinema, experiencing it, was very different from the trailer, isn't it? The trailer gave me a glimpse and just enough to want to go and experience the real thing. But it wasn't the real thing. You see, a free taster and a trailer are meant to direct you towards a greater reality. You know, those Old Testament figures are their shadows pointing to Jesus. And in fact, we're told in Hebrews that the whole Old Testament law is like, it's like a lens designed to focus our eyes on our need for him. But guys, more than that, as I was preparing this week, I just felt this word on my heart kind of through that analogy that um, I wonder if in our, our spirituality, that if our, in our faith walk with Jesus, like do we settle for the trailer when we're meant to be experiencing the film like in IMAX 3D? Are we just coming back round each week for another free sample when actually there's the real meal awaiting for us? Like in our experience of the Christian life, Do we gather at church? Maybe we read in the Bible about what these amazing men and women of faith did. We hear about miracles happening around the world and churches being planted and and communities transformed. 
We hear and we meet other people experiencing and doing great acts of faith. Maybe in a summer or a moment we go to a great conference and we get excited about what the Christian life could offer. But if we're honest, is it like continually watching the trailer again and again and yet the reality of the Christian life isn't what we're living? It's possible for me to watch lots of trailers of Top Gun, to read all the reviews, and I could have a conversation with you and pretend that I watched the film. I could probably hold my own, and it's a Hollywood film, I could probably guess the plot, and act like I've experienced it. Guys, it's possible to be in conversations and small groups and Bible studies and attend church to talk about the Christian life when we haven't stepped into it. And guys, I just think there's an invitation for us as a church and as individuals that there's more. There's a greater reality of this Christian life. We don't just have to read about what some great men and women of faith have done. We can live it. And uh, not to push the analogy too far, but I wonder if the reason we settle for the free taster is because we don't want to pay the price for the full experience. You see, a trailer's free, but a ticket will cost you something. But guys, some things are worth the price. Okay, intro over. Well, today, today we're looking at the life of David. David, who became the king of Israel. And when we're talking about kind of shadows of who Jesus would be, I think he's probably the, the greatest example of a foretaste of the Messiah. Now, I just want to invite you to turn to somebody near you, someone you came with, um, and just, I want to ask you this question. What do you think David is most famous for? I'll give you 20 seconds. What's David from the Bible most famous for? I know I'm making you do some hard work today. And if you're new to church and have no idea, just nod along, act like you know what you're talking about, just agree with whatever they say, it's probably correct. Okay, shout out some answers. What's David most famous for? Someone after God's own heart. Someone's read their Bible. Great. No, I'll go on. Go on, no. Someone in the front row. One with the music. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Killing Goliath, that's kind of what I was going for. David and Goliath. Like you, can't, you can't hear about the biblical David without hearing like the kid's story, David and Goliath. Now, now do you ever wonder, like we do read our kids all the Bible stories. Some of the Bible stories are quite interesting. Like, I want to know, who is it who like, curated the stories and went, this will be a good one to like, teach my four-year-old. Like Noah's Ark, it's not quite as pleasant as you think it is. Um, but yeah, David and Goliath, that's what he's most famous for. But there's so much, so much. I wonder what you think his greatest achievement was. So there's, there's so much written about him, so much narrative, so much of his, his worship songs and his wise sayings. He's probably most famous for de- defeating Goliath, who, if you don't know, was this huge elite soldier of an enemy army. And, you know, he carried a weight of expectation from a really young age. Like one day, the lead prophet of of Israel came to his house and anointed him as the future king of Israel. But imagine again the weight of expectation when you've killed the the greatest warrior known in the region at such a young age. What everyone, that weight of expectation on your life. But he did lots. He led Israel to famous victories. He, He wrote a lot of the Psalms. He became king of Israel. 
and established victory over all his neighbors. He grew Israel in, in lots of ways of power and influence. He established the city of Jerusalem as Israel's capital, and the Jewish people believe it is to this day. And he brought the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of worship and the presence of God, into that city and established 24-7 worship and prayer. He amassed a huge amount of wealth, and he gathered all the raw materials for a massive civil engineering project to construct the temple. But of all that, what do you think God remembers him for? What does God remember him for? Before I tell you what I think, I wonder, that's a powerful question to ask, isn't it? What do you think God will remember us for? What will God remember our family for or Seven Vineyard for? So I think for David, despite those victories, his wealth, his fame, his achievements, I think David is remembered by God as a man of worship. So if you ask uh, people who have had great success, like Olympic athletes or business leaders, political leaders, famous performers, who become visible for a short amount of time, if you ask them for the secrets to their success, they will almost always point to things which are hidden and take a long time to achieve. They'll talk about the hours they spend practicing, the training, the early mornings, the devotion and the sacrifices, and normally costs that nobody else can see. And I think when it comes to the kingdom of God, those things are at work, but I think there's a whole other layer of values at work that apply the same principle. Things that are hidden and take a long time to develop. And I think David's life was defined and marked by how he worshipped and how he continually sought after the presence of God. And I think David is remembered by God more for his times of adoration and worship than for his achievements. I've got a full-on quote, so you're ready for it. You might need to like put a seatbelt on for this one. From a guy called Leonard Ravenhill, an amazing revivalist preacher. And he said this, Everyone wants my anointing, but no one wants my prayer life. He said, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have lots of organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and prayers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears and few tears. Much fashion, but little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. I told you it was full on. I think we have to ask ourselves, do we want a legacy that looks good in the eyes of people or in the eyes of man? Well, guys, this is, not, this is not an easy thing uh, for me to live out at all. So I'm a, I'm a perfectionist on the Enneagram. Uh, my two top strengths finder profiles are achiever and maximizer. I hate doing nothing. And my wife's smiling at me. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I love getting stuff done. But God's been challenging me, and Rebecca will tell you it's a work in progress, but it's true. Uh, God's been challenging me. The goal, the goal of our life is not about achievement. And the challenge for me, which I think is for us too, is that the life following Jesus is more about transformation than achievement. It's more about transformation 
than achievement. It's not about doing something, but about becoming someone. And our purpose is to adore, not to achieve. If you've got Bibles uh, or on your phones or devices, do you want to flip to Revelation 2? And this is a place where Jesus writes some letters to some of his churches. Uh, he gives them some warnings and some encouragement. And this is Revelation 2, uh, starting of verse 2. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And yet, this is Jesus speaking, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So Jesus is challenged to a church which worked hard, which persevered, which was pursuing holiness, and even suffered for following him. God had a challenge, and he says this, you've abandoned your first love. Like that root word abandoned, it's the same as the root word is to get divorced. You've split off from loving me first and foremost. So Jesus was asked uh, on earth, he asked, what is the greatest commandment in the whole law? And in Matthew 22, 38, he says the, the greatest, the whole law can be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and strength. And then from that place, love your neighbour as yourself. Guys, when we view life through, through that lens, about adoration and connection to God as being the purpose of life, it changes everything. Even the most mundane tasks, from washing the dishes to doing admin or looking after small children on your own, can suddenly find purpose because it's about what God's doing in us as well as through us. And I think that perspective is what you see in David's life. He consistently sought God's heart in worship. I just want to look at three things really quickly. He did it in all circumstances in his life. He did it before he was famous, he did it when he was victorious, and he did it in the midst of suffering and grief. Again, your Bible is going to flip to 1 Samuel 16. Now, this is near the beginning of his life, and some of the stories when it's written about David is slightly confusing because they're not in chronological order. There's a very specific order that the writer would want us to know, but so the order of these stories aren't super clear, but we know this is at the beginning of his life. And what I want us to see is that right at the beginning, before he's particularly famous, David was already a skilled worshipper. He already had a heart of worship. And at this point in the narrative, King Saul has, he's lost favour with God, he's been rejected by God, but he keeps getting oppressed by an evil spirit. So 1 Samuel 16, 17. So he keeps getting these night terrors. And so, so Saul said to his atten attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of his servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. And then verse 21. So David came to Saul, entered his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. And whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, 
David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. So David, David, gets, David gets his guitar. It's not quite a guitar. Uh, a harp, a lyre. He gets his guitar. He's a gifted worship leader. And he developed so much and a gift and anointing for worship that when he led worship, demons left. You know, there's a difference between uh, playing songs and carrying a heart of worship so much that it ushers in the presence of God. And we know where the spirit of God is, the enemy cannot stay for long. So, so many times I've, I've walked into rooms and maybe feeling the weight of, of thoughts or struggles or oppression and just by walking into a room of anointed worship, it's like walking past a barrier and that stuff just lifts. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. But um, we reckon I used to help lead a house of prayer uh, in North Devon where we had kind of night and day prayer for about 30 hours a week or so, just dedicated in the heart of our town to, to ministering to God's heart. And one day this, this woman came in and she basically didn't want to leave and she's kept sitting through all these sessions. And so we, we asked her like what her, what her story was. And she said she just kept getting all of these oppressive thoughts and dreams, real stuff of the enemy. And we asked why she didn't want to leave, and she said, because all that stuff has to wait at the door, and it can't get in here. Because where the Spirit of God was, where the worship was, the enemy couldn't go. But my point is this. David had developed a heart and a gift of worship before he got power or authority. There's a foundation of worship in his life. So once you're leading in your calling or your job or your family, it's, it's too late to go back and try and develop a heart of prayer and a heart of worship. It's something which is developed in the secret place with God over time. So I just wonder for us, when and where was the last time you gave space just to glorify and worship and thank God? Now, if you're not a singer, it doesn't have to be with charismatic worship songs. It could be creative. It could be in writing or journaling or speaking. So many ways it could be in contemplative. I can't even say that. Contemplative ways. There are other ways you can do it. But when was the last time we gave real space and time to worship God? Okay, so number two. So he worshiped God before he was famous or victorious. Second one, he worshiped God when it was tough. In the desert places. Literally for him in the desert. So as, as David's reputation grew and his popularity grew, basically King Saul got really jealous and eventually so much so he tried to kill him. And David ends up running away and getting chased around the desert by the king's army. And you know, when your life is threatened and you're living in a desert with no security and it's not your fault, it's, I'm sure, incredibly easy to get bitter at God. Say, God, what about those promises? What about those things you said about my life? And it's not even my fault. Look at his sins. Look at the things he's done wrong. What are you doing? And yet this is David's heart. Um, if you want to turn to it, Psalm 60. And he wrote this being chased by Saul in the desert. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You can see where he got the analogy. He's in a desert. Um, I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I'll be satisfied as with the richest of foods. 
with the singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And it goes on. It's a worshipful psalm in the midst of his suffering. He worshipped God. He trusted him with his life, whatever happened. Because David's existing, his current circumstance, or his momentary experience wasn't the measure or the barometer as to whether God was worthy of his worship. See, God is eternal. And his eternal love and power and glory is the thing that makes him worthy. And that doesn't change if we're having a good day, if our football team is winning, or whether it's the worst and darkest moment of your life. Bill Johnson says that worshipping God in the midst of suffering is the one thing you can do for God on this side of eternity that you can't do there. It's the one way we can give glory back to him on this side. But you know, David even did it in the midst of grief. So later on in his life, after one of David's worst mistakes, which include adultery and murder, David's baby son gets ill and eventually dies. And David was desperately crying out to God in prayer. But when he hears the news that his son passes away, it says this in 2 Samuel 12, verse 20. When he heard the news, David got up from the ground, he washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. The first thing he did on the worst news of his life was to go and worship God. Uh, some of you may know that it's part of our story, but so I reckon I have three kids here, but actually um, we had another daughter uh, when we first got married. And uh, we found out that she, um, she was sick when uh, halfway through the pregnancy. And they basically gave uh, babies a 50-50 chance of survival. But unfortunately, after lots of prayer and seeking God and lots of visits to the hospital, and when she was born, uh, after five days old, she passed away. But we resolved at the beginning when we found out the news, we are going to worship God in the midst of what happens and no matter the outcome. And that worship and connection to God gave us the faith and I think the eternal perspective that helped us carry through. But guys, I'll be honest, that worship was really raw. It was really raw and real. And if you read David's Psalms, they're real and brutal and honest to God. And they complain to God, and that's okay. He's the one person who can take our honesty. God wants us to be real, but he wants us to be close and honest with him. So David worshipped in the midst of grief and his suffering. The final thing, after his victories, after becoming king, what David did was he established the place of worship in the heart of the capital city. And we see the worship culture David developed in his own life starts to transform his community. And you can read in 1 Chronicles 16, he basically, he pays for non-stop night and day worship teams to worship God. He appoints people to play music instruments and trumpets to make sure there is 24-7 worship and prayer at the heart of his community. And what was central in his life starts to become central in his community. What would it look like if as a church and as Christians, we put worship and the praise of God at the heart of all we do? do you know, it starts in our lives, but I think it then can't help but spill into our community. And here's one reason why I think that. In Acts 15, 16, and it's a prophecy from Amos 9. It says, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, 
even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. God, God's promise here is through Jesus, he's going to rebuild David's fallen tent, or it could be tabernacle, or his house. The culture and the heart of worship, he's going to rebuild and restore. And the result is that all people, Jews and Gentiles, the community itself will come and seek God. David worshipped before he was famous. He did, and you can see in your own time, he worshipped in his victories, but just as much he worshipped in his suffering. And he did it so much that it started to change his community. Shall we pray? Father God, Jesus, I thank you you're here. I thank you you're with us. I thank you you want to know us and be known by us. I thank you. You, uh, you love us as we are, not some future version of us. Not the us when we get it all together. You want us today. You want to know us greater right now. And I thank you there's a greater invitation for us. So we invite you, God, to come and meet with us. As I feel like there's a few ways we can respond. Uh, I feel like maybe there's some in the room that that message of maybe you feel like you have been experiencing the trailer, but you want the reality. You've seen it in other lives. You want more of what you read about the life in the Bible. And for some of us, you simply just want to develop a greater heart of worship. And maybe some of it is touched that actually you're, you may be in the midst of grief or a desert season right now. And you just want someone to come alongside you so you can just be real with God. I'm just going to invite the uh, worship band to come and play, but we're just going to um, just a minute. We're just going to wait on God. So, if you want to, um, if you whatever you're comfortable with, maybe put your hands out in front of you. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to find a space on your own, it's okay. But again, I'm just going to invite. We believe God's alive and He's real and He's, and he's with us. So, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. And actually, if that's you, I just encourage everyone, actually, uh, if we could all just close our eyes for a moment. If that was you, that um, whilst everyone's eyes are closed, if you actually want to just show to God, actually, I feel like I've been just only experiencing the taster. I want the reality. Can I encourage you just, just between you and God, just to raise your hand where you are? Just as a symbol of saying, God, I want to choose the fullness of what you've got. Okay, why don't we, just, uh, we can pray this together, actually, if, if, if you want to pray this as well. Let's just pray a prayer of just, of commitment, of making that step. And so we can just pray, so Jesus, Jesus, I choose today, I choose today to lay down my comfort, to pay the price, to pay the price, to, Jesus said to, to follow him is about laying our lives down on a cross, taking up our cross daily and following him. But if we seek to save our life, we will lose it. But if we give up our life for his sake, we will find it. So Jesus, today I choose to lay down my life, to take up your life, the better life, the full life. I choose today to step in to the fullness. I want the reality, God. I want the fullness of what you've got in, your, in the life following you. Jesus, help me live it by the power of your spirit. Help me step into it. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Now guys, these prayers are a start, but I encourage you, if that was you, uh, ask God what the next step is. There's always a practical step. When Monday morning comes around, what are you going to do differently?